trigger warning, Death and Friends is not a podcast for the light of heart. Many dark and serious subjects will come up. Listener discretion is advised. It is a dark and foggy evening in Victorian England. A gloom settles over the city as the smell of death what? encompasses... A- what is this? <laughs> Fear not, weary traveler. Our quest shall not trouble thee, for we are merely specters this evening. Wandering through this landscape, attempting to understand its complexities, this is an adventure through the underworld that is not for the feeble-minded. You there! <laughs> to begin, this is how we will what? start. What is Ow, happening? I'm run- Nash, I'm running a campaign here. Do you mind, dude? Are God, those... Fellas, I'm so sorry. Are those dice? Yeah. Who else? Yeah, are- yeah, Who is here? Okay, hey, guys. <laughs> I'll be right there. All right, all right. Come on, bro. Um, come on it. All right, there we go. Sorry. <clears throat> Here, our gang of ne'er-do-wells seek adventure. Carathian, defender of the realm, a wraith that died in most glorious battle, searching for his adventure to possibly go back to a lover. Marcellius, an elf bard that provides music, playing his enchanted mandolin, that no one knows where it came from. <laughs> Not even himself. And of course, their third and most wicked companion, Dennis, an accountant. Um. Dennis, roll for initiative. Den- am-, am I Dennis? I'm Dennis? Oh, fuck you. Welcome back, Skeleton Army. I'm Angel, and this ruiner of all fun things is Nash. Hey. Shut up, Dennis. All right. Today, we've got another rousing edition of the British on their absolute bullshit for you. But instead of murdering an entire culture, Britain is ruining it for literally every mortal person on the earth. Probably. So, paint the picture, Nash. We're in spooky old London town, somehow straddling a few decades at once because we're made of magic. Oh, now we're made of magic? Okay. Yeah, I'm made of magic and cholera, apparently. This spot of time is delightfully known as the Victorian era, after Queen Victoria herself. It's anywhere between 1837 and 1901. Oh, that's weird. On the sign over there, it says, Welcome to Capitalism. Why is welcome spelled with a U? Don't don't worry about that for now, No, no. Is, Is this another episode with rich people ruining things? It's not not that. Oh, good. All right. Wait, wait a second. Why are you order? Victorians are both surrounded by and fascinated by death. Increasing rates of urbanization and industry meant that everything in their lives is basically poison and diseases spread quickly. So rates of mortality are a bit on the high side, to put it neatly. If you have not already listened to season one, episode five about Victorian homes and exploding toilets, uh, you might want to. In response to the large anxiety the entire population are just vibing on during this time period, it's not long before somebody says, Hey, I bet we can make some money on this. And then they proceed to invent an entire funerary system focused on class and socioeconomic status. When it's not our buddy racism, 
It's our good buddy, old-timey Jeffrey Bezos. Thanks for nothing as always, Jeff. One of the first developments into making sure poor people knew they were poor and thereby worthless was the invention of garden cemeteries. Heavy quotation marks here. Basically, in the cities, you've got loads of people, so loads of people are dying, mainly of spreadable diseases. Their bodies all get prepped and buried in close proximity to the city, meaning the diseases enjoy buying local. Sustain your local economies. Rich people are suddenly like, wow, this is gross. What, they don't like farm to table? No. (laughs) I can't be decomposing next to a poor person with diseases. And honestly, London is just running out of room in pre-existing burial grounds. So they create these garden cemeteries starting in 1830 as a way to, quote, promote public health, end quote. Yeah, these cemeteries are private, pay-to-play type shits. You know, like improv. Yeah. And they hype them as alternatives to commoner burial grounds and their yucky cooties. Oh my god, so gross. Get away from me. It didn't do much in the way of making anything more sanitary or helping Victorians die less frequently because obviously it did not do that. But it does make the upper class death more appealing. And for the paupers, well... You could probably guess how they felt about things, but just in case you can't, here's an epitaph from Gravedigger slash King of the Salt Throne called Robert Philip. Here I lie at the chapel door. Here I lie because I'm poor. The farther in the more you'll pay. Here I lie as warm as they. Hey, Angel, could you do it like more poor? Could you sound more poor? Or more poor? Yeah. Got it, got it. I'll do it as the poorest person I know. You ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. <clears throat> here I lie at the chapel door. Here I lie because I'm poor. The farther in, the more you'll pay. Here I lie as warm as they. Huh. Satan? And this is just the inaugural move in the death commercialization, by the way. Uh, as soon as we get better, more landscaped, private places to bury the middle and upper classes, funerals start to match them. Uh, the rich advise these possessions to bring the decorated coffins through London with horse-drawn carriages. When I was younger, my father, he brought me to the Dead Rich People Parade. Okay, now, now, shutting this off right now, no Nash. Why is it never yes, Nash? I don't make the rules, I only enforce them. Well, that's true. Dom makes the rules. Of course he does, his name is Dom. Snare drum. Crash. Obviously, only the rich can afford these parades of grandeur, but boy... Does the funeral and undertaking industry try real hard to make the middle class want these dope funerals? They get to work advertising and creating tiered structures for funerals, and they market the whole thing under the guide of the best way to honor your deceased loved one is to make their death as uselessly elaborate as possible. I mean, how is all your dead relatives going to know you loved them if you're not broke as shit after they die? I mean, you could tell them when they're alive or, like, seance them back? Is that, is that you, Nana? Nana. Oh, what? I'm sorry. No, you're mad about the drapes again. Damn it, Nana. I like the drapes. Damn it. Fucking Nana, it's fine. Hey, hey, Siri, how do you hang up on a dead person? Is there like a flip phone option for the veil? No, 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 no. Don't you, don't you start throwing ectoplasm at me. Oh, that works. Goodbye. Advertisements in local newspapers and catalogs show that the undertakers and cemetery planners were usually in bed with each other, just taking every opportunity to fuck the money out of sad and probably terminally ill Victorians, for whom the social pressure of having a 
good death is tantamount to having existed. Metaphor of the day. If you couldn't afford a funeral outright, but were planning one ahead of time, you could sign up for the Victorian version of life insurance through clubs known as burial and friendly societies. It costs as little as a few shillings a week, but if you don't have that money, or if somebody gets sick before you could save for a funeral, then guess what? Angel, Angel, guess what? Oh, sorry, uh, what? You gotta guess! <sighs> okay, um, I don't know, they took your body and used it for science or some shit. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, that's, um, that's pretty much exactly what happened. Oh, Jesus Christ, seriously? Yeah, the Anatomy Act of 1832 makes it legal to dissect donated corpses for science, but that also means if there isn't enough money to bury you, your family might literally not have another choice. Now, this is the same law that we've talked about before on the show that allowed the dissection of criminals. So the anxiety for the lower classes of London was real, because it's rude as hell to get a criminal's burial if your only crime was being poor. Yeah. Something, something parallels to modern time. Hmm. Landlords? (laughs) And something like three-fourths of the population was in those lower classes. So, like, just real shit king tactics. Here's some guy called Sir Edwin Chadwick in 1843 writing about the poors. The desire to secure respectful interment of themselves and their relations is perhaps the strongest and most widely diffused feeling amongst the laboring classes of the population. Yes, subscriptions may be obtained from large classes of them for the burial when it could be obtained neither for their own relief and sickness nor for the education of their children nor for any other object. Edwin would go on to become the first director of the newly created Board of Health in 1848 and he does actually do a lot of research correlating disease and sanitation as well as socioeconomic class. Thanks, bud! Unfortunately, during his tenure he has a few missteps and he actually ends up further contaminating the Thames River with human sewage and attempts to clean things up, which leads to more cholera, but hey. Hey. Hey, Edwin. At least you tried, bud. An attempt was made. It was a terrible, terrible attempt. But hey, you know. You did it. Hey. <laughs> he failed upwards like most white people. All right, here we go. <laughs> In 1834, the poor laws roll out and adds to the anxiety, but in a shitty way. By being like, hey, if you don't got cash money, baby, the government will bury you. You'll get a papa grave through which is like, oh, man, social disgrace, LOL. Please picture now, in your head, Paris Hilton and her Stop Being Poor t-shirt. Jeez. It wasn't even just a shitty grave location. It was an anonymous burial with no marker, no prayers, or any funeral customs at all. You die too poor and your family is forced to hand you over. They wrap you in some fabric and toss you in the earth. Hence the anxiety about saving money for death insurance plan even over your own health or the education of your children. The delightful capitalism bullshit doesn't end with funeral possessions and grave location either. Memento Mori comes out of this period in its most extreme form, not just for family and friends, but for mourners and funeral attendees. For the richer folks, of course. Like a big kid's party with a goodie bag, you get a locket with Catherine's hair in it. You get a locket with Catherine's hair in it. Hair for everyone. (laughs) She hated you, Nathaniel. But fuck it, have this locket, just so she doesn't decide to haunt us all. 
hair doesn't even decompose, so they've got that going for them. Which you're is, still on this hair thing, okay? It's disgusting, but also great. Oh god, I won't change my mind on this. You're the guy from Charlie's Angels who like cuts hair off and smells it. Just puts it in my locket for later. Who knows who I'll have to clone? It could be worse. You could keep uh, <laughs> your lover's heart in a fucking drawer. Oh, yeah. Wow, what a callback. Just Thank you. Thank nice. you very much, everybody. That was incredible. Episode 10. Yeah. Episode 10. Beautiful. I love it when a plan comes together. The iconography in these marketed trinkets changes drastically. Gone are the skulls and crossbones of the earlier eras. This is a softer, more romantic side of death. Baby. Mm. Which just coincides with the more romanticized ideals of how to die. Because for the Victorians, how you die was just as important as what your family did to bury you. Victorians heralded the concept of good death, which boils down to you die at home, surrounded by loved ones, preferably with a priest to do your last rites, your children kiss you, and someone catalogs your final words. And then they wait to make sure you're really dead before preparing your body and getting the old dirt ready for you. By the way, at this point, you might have noticed that this kind of ideal death is pretty problematic, given that Victorian London was populated by people and also by incredibly contagious diseases like cholera and typhoid and influenza. Just a, just a great way to make sure the family plot you bought in an up-and-coming garden cemetery gets used right away. Get your money's worth, rich people, and die all at once. And don't forget the fashion. <laughs> Victorians established mourning dress codes. Uh, that's mourning, with a U in it. Etiquette guides and how long to mourn for certain family members, and what colors are most appropriate for specific genders and for the death of children. Which happened a lot. <laughs> The fashion alone puts a severe demand on tailors and dressmakers alike, because, obviously, you don't really know you're going to need that shit, and then you need, like, 20 black crepe dresses by Sunday, and it's Tuesday, and that's just for one family. Make it work. Most of this influenced by Queen Victoria herself. Her husband, Prince Albert, dies in 1861, and though she goes through mourning, basically, the rest of her life, which is, like, 40 years. Damn, girl. She's in all black, wearing her mourning jewelry, and having paintings made of Albert to help mourn him properly. And that trickles down into high society as mass-marketable tokens for loved ones in the form of rings, bracelets, necklaces, and lockets. The original NFTs. Mm. <laughs> hey, speaking of weird things... Black death, polio, spontaneous combustion... Dying comes and after death comes decomposition It may seem sad and also gross But here you are and here's your host Not an actual doctor But it's medical Medical, medical facts with Dr. We've already talked about a bunch of ways Victorians could die. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about how Victorians determined they were dead. England 1817 textbook reads, Keep the corpse warm under close watch for at least a week, holding a looking glass to the mouth or brushing the soles of the feet with strong acid or electricity or warm baths or pacing tissue over the nose and mouth. And none of them seem conclusive Cut the jugular and separate the cartoid arteries, divide the medulla, and pierce the heart. Essentially, if you're not sure they're dead, kill them. Yeah. With modern medicine, generally we use 
death by whole brain criteria as the legal and medical definition of death. It basically means that the neocortex and the brainstem are no longer capable of functioning, and it's curtains for you, muchacho. If you're wondering why so much effort was put into making sure folks were dead, well, that's because uh, people were sometimes not very dead when they were buried. Fun facts with Nash. Oh, good. It's time. It's 1674. We're a little outside of our time zone. A lovely Scottish woman called Margaret Halcrow Erskine falls ill and dies. Her husband is distraught, and he buries her quickly with all the jewelry she loved in life, including a very fancy ring he puts right onto her finger. At the graveside, he laments it almost seems like her lips quiver, but dismisses this as his own sadness. The sexton burying her is like, Hey, girl, that's some fine-ass jewelry that's just going to decay in the ground. So he leaves all the screws in the coffin, like, kind of loose, tosses a little bit of dirt on her, and plans to come back at night and just, like, borrow those rings, probably, like, just for a night or two. He gets there. The ring is stuck on her finger. So he's working it a bit when suddenly, good old Margaret wakes up and screams in his face. She runs home. He probably shits himself. The records are not really forthcoming on that. And she lives for like another 20 years. Presumably, they do the old stabby thing that time to make sure she was like actually dead. The Victorians were so afraid of being buried alive. In 1896, they created an association for the prevention of premature burial and developed a bunch of over-the-top coffins just to make sure... If you did find yourself buried alive, you could alert people on the regular dirt layer that you needed to be let out. Coffins with bells were attached to strings on a corpse's fingers called safety coffins. These were one of those things that rich people could just kind of buy. They get a little bit more elaborate as the years go on. Eventually, they include like windows so you can see the corpse and tubes for air and soup just in case. Why soup specifically? That's just what they use for testing. Testing? Yeah. In 1822, Dr. Adolf Gutsmith, this is a real oh, name, no. I couldn't make that up, gets himself oh, no. buried alive to market his safety coffin, and they feed him soup through a tube. By the way, there's absolutely no historical evidence that suggests that anyone has ever been rescued by one of these coffins. There's actually very little evidence that people are even being buried in them, but that's neither here nor there. Continuing to discredit some of the cool things, uh, there was some conjecture that the expression saved by the bell came from these safety coffins, but it's actually from boxing. Sorry, we are really not fun at parties. Uh, you're not funny parties. Oh. Uh, the Victorian era <laughs> The Victorian era ends with the death and funeral of Queen Victoria herself on June 1901. In contrast to the previous development of mourning and mourning culture, Victoria gets buried in white and is buried in a military-style procession. We here in modernity keep a lot of the rules about poor people and burials and bullshit. But lose a bit of the morning etiquette rules and fashion, which... And on that super lame note, that's the episode. A special thanks to you, our favorite listener. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rate and review would also be nice. Yes, definitely rate and review. We need them, desperately. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Gorilla Jokes. And I'm at It's Nash Flynn. And of course, follow the podcast at Death and Friends Podcast. Hey, you, you want to be an official member of the Skeleton Army? I keep ringing the spell, but nobody comes. Well, 
You can do that by joining us on Patreon. It's mostly to cover our sound guy's medical bills. In order to properly write medical facts, we expose Dom to all the illnesses and ways to die we talk about on the show. Yeah, he hasn't rung his little coffin bell either in a while. We'd probably look in this window. Oh, nope. Yeah, he's a... Uh... Uh, well, we did do that Frankenstein episode. Oh, that's right. I think we can make that's it right. work. Anyway, check it out at patreon.com slash deathandfriends. And remember, you are loved and you matter and death is a tricky thing to talk about. But hey, it's okay. And you're okay. If you don't want to be your own friend, we will be your friend. Unfortunately, now it's officially legally your job to make certain that I am dead before you bury me. Thanks in advance. Okay. My plan is to poke you with a stick. Do it. Until next time, Skeleton Army. Love you. Love you. This has been a Knavery Inc. podcast. Go to knaveryinc.com for more details. Executive produced by Jacob Duffy Halbleib. Audio design by Dominic Guanzon. Themes and transitions by Amy Doe. The fuck is a knave? Remember this is a comedy podcast? Don't use it in your research papers. This is the same law that allowed the dissection of... What the fuck? Are you contagious? Me? Don't put this shit on me. This is the same law that we've talked about before on the show that allowed the dissection of criminals. So the anxiety for the lower crust... (laughs) Who wrote this episode? (laughs) I don't know. It's like they like to use big words to make us sound extra smart. Even though all my scripts, you can tell I write them because I'm just like, yeah, and then the thing happened. And then we just explain it. That's not even written. It's just like explain. Death? It wasn't even just a shitty grave location. It's a anonymous burial. Burial? Burial. Oh. It wasn't even a shitty grave location. It was an anonymous burial. Burial? Burial. You got butter okay, stuck need, in your head. Need, I'm asking for help, you asshole. Oh, burial. <laughs> a burial. Thank you. Yeah, it's like English is not my first language. All right, here we go. Almost. <clears throat> almost like that. Death? Uh, in 1892, that's not what it says. <laughs> that's not what it says at all. Not, not even a little bit. No. I mean, maybe I mean, a little. A little. Bit, <laughs> in 1822, death? Love you. Love you. I just said it normal that time. Yeah, I'm Yeah, proud I of did. You. Yeah. All righty. I hope he cuts it off at the love you part.